0: Welcome to Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, the podcast where we walk through God's Word together. Today we continue our journey through the book of Ezra. Today we finish the book of Ezra, so this is on chapters 9 and chapters 10. And I'm, we're going to look at several spots throughout these two chapters. But I want to give you the big idea, because if you look at the title of chapters 9 and 10, what you're going to see is Ezra prays about intermarriage or interracial marriage. And it's very tempting in reading that to make those two chapters about this issue. And with those words come a lot of cultural context that we have that will muddy the meaning of the biblical text. So let me give you ahead of time what the big idea of chapters 9 and chapters 10 are, and is this. It is a response, so this is in Ezra's context, a response to the faithless sin in light of God's grace towards the people of Israel. Now, for us, it's a response to faithless sin in light of God's grace towards us. Now, what am I talking about? Well, let's get into verse 1. It says, After seeing these things had been done, the officials approached me and the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not, and they said the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with their abominations from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the, the Pezorites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the nations or the peoples of this land, depending on your. Translation. And so, even in the first three verses, we have a lot going on. So, let's sort of dig in, let's think about what we're reading here. And I want to start off by saying the Bible is not saying that interracial marriage is wrong. So, let's just get that out of the way. That's not what's happening here. But when I say that, we're going to have to now answer the question of if that's not the problem, then what is? So that is where we're going to focus the majority of our episode today on what is. And remember, I said it's response to faithless sin. So let's dig in and look at the text itself. It says the people of Israel, that's all the people, the nation, and the priests and the Levites, these are the leaders of the nation, the spiritual leaders, have not, what have they not done? Separated themselves from the peoples of the land. Now here's the key. This little with clause, with their abominations. Now remember, in chapter 5, there were people who joined, or in chapter 6 as well, people who joined in the worship of the temple, those who had separated themselves from the abominations of the land. So this is not saying that people outside of Israel are are not allowed to worship with Israel, or that they weren't allowed to marry into Israel, remember people like Ruth, she was a Moabite. People like Rahab, she was at Jericho. They not only are in the Bible, but they are in the line of Jesus Himself. So those are important. And these people would have known that. They wouldn't have noticed in the line of Jesus, but they knew that those were in the line of David. That Ruth, a Moabite, was David's grandmother, and they would have known this. So the issue. Wasn't that they were people of the lands, but they were people of the lands who had not separated themselves from their abominations, their religious practices. And therein lies the key. The issue here is, pro- is a prominent theme, and it's seen in verse 1 especially haven't separated, and then their abominations. Israel is allowing in and allowing the influence of the people who will lead them away from God. And if you've followed the biblical story up until now, that is how they got into exile in the first place. They allowed the people, the lands, to influence their worship of God. God was clear what he thought about that. He threw them out of the land, and they were in exile. He's brought them back home. And the issue they're dealing with is the same. This is why is Ezra will respond the way that he does is because as he looks at this, he says, "Amazingly, we were in exile for this very purpose, and now, on top of that, now we're on exile for this purpose, and we come back. God has brought us back out of exile, and we're going to do the same thing that got us into exile in the first place. Are you kidding me? And see, there is the issue. This is the faithless." act they have done. They have done as they were commanded not to do, and they allowed in what they shouldn't have. And yet, much like Israel, and this is where, as we're reading this, we say, "Well, what is, what is this saying to me? This is about intermarriage of Israel. How does this speak to 21st century church? And this is where I want to make the jump. Again, focus on the problem, and we pointed out the problem being that they were allowing in these foreign ideas. And it jumps into today like this. Much like Israel, we all too often allow people and things that ought not to be in our minds and in our hearts in. So this faithlessness comes in many forms. So on the surface, one way I would say this is Christians should not marry non-Christians. So if you want a very simple application to what's happening in chapters 9 and chapters 10... If you are a Christian, do not date and do not marry a non-Christian. If you're dating a non-Christian, the answer is simple. It's time to part ways until they become a believer. And I know what you're thinking. Ah, what about missionary dating? I can lead them to Christ. Well... That hardly ever works, and I never recommend it. However, yes, it has worked in the past. It, it, my grandfather is an example of that. When he married my grandmother, he was not a Christian. She drug him to church every Sunday. He became a Christian. He's been following Christ ever since. So it it works, but I would never recommend it because more often than not, the Christian is pulled away from the faith, and they enter into a terrible time of disobedience and rebellion to God. So, on the surface application, if you're dating a non-Christian, break up with them. Now, if you're married to a non-Christian, it's a little more complicated, because I'm not going to tell you to divorce them. Uh, And I know that in Ezra here, that's kind of what they do. I would not say that that is what the text is leading us to do in application. I think that is a Special scenario, but it would mean that you have the hard work of leading your spouse to Christ and remaining faithful to God the whole way, and it's going to be a rough ride. But it's it's something that you have to consider. So that is on the surface, but it goes even a little deeper than that. So watch this. Now this is where we take it deeper. This could entail foreign philosophies, and when I say foreign philosophies, uh, if you're in America, I'm not talking about Taoism, though that is a foreign philosophy. I'm talking about any philosophy that is outside the biblical worldview. This is worldly philosophies. They're all foreign to us because we are the body of Christ. We are the kingdom of God. Anything outside of that is foreign. We, we allow foreign philosophies to seep in. We allow non-biblical and unbiblical worldviews to inform us on a variety of topics It seeps in through our media intake, and it pervades our thought life. Now the question is, what do we do? How do we respond? Well, I think the answer comes in verse 3 here as we read Ezra's response. So let's read verse 3 of chapter 9. As soon as I heard this, that being the news that they are living in faithlessness or rebellion, I tore my garments and my cloak, and I pulled my hair from my head and my beard, and I sat appalled. And then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. So, what did he do? He tore his clothes, he pulled his hair, and he pulled his beard, and he sat in ashes. Now, I am really thankful. <laughs> that is not how we mourn today because I have a beard and and I don't want to pull it out. It That would hurt. But that is, if you're reading this and maybe you're reading that and thinking that's really odd. Well, for this time period, that was a way that you show a, a, an extreme amount of grief. This is like falling on your face, crying or screaming. This is how they showed their disgust on something that was happening before God or their heartbrokenness before God. It involved tearing of the cloak. It involved putting ashes on the head. It involved pulling the hair and the beard. Like I said, I'm really glad that that's not the application. The application of this is don't pull your beard out every time you sin. Uh, but, But watch. Watch how he responds, and this is important. Ezra's response to the faithlessness and the sin of the exiles must be our response, not a one-for-one, not a, well, pull your hair and sit in ash cloth kind of thing, but but watch this. It should be our response to our own sin. How did he respond? Uh, He responded not merely by saying, I'm sorry that this happened. Oh, my goodness, my heart's broken, but a heart-wrenching cry for mercy and forgiveness, Now look what he does. He pulls his hair, he pulls his beard, he tears his cloak, he sat in ashes. These were visible signs of disgust. Have we lost that in our spiritual lives? Not the exact things he did, but the heart-wrenching cry, the the actions that show humility and brokenness before God. Have we lost that? Because here's the thing, if we've lost that, then our response is not adequate enough. If our response to sin is, I'm sorry, God, If our response to sin in the church is, I hate that happened, it's not adequate. It's not godly. Ezra's response is heart-wrenching. It's brokenness over the sin of the people and the sin of the leadership. We must be broken over the sin in our lives, and we must be broken over the sin in the church. Because if we're not, I don't think we understand sin. Uh, sin is bad so let's quickly walk through the rest of this uh, lamentations we we talked about that before Ezra it, it's clear on this he's actually in line with that he's lamenting over the sin we must lament over sin in our life as well so fill the plea from Ezra Ezra is now going to pray and if we're grieving over our sin a good place to start is in prayer to God because he listens so, so l- just listen to what he says here so there's a recognition of the shame of sin as he prays, and I'm I'm not going to read the whole prayer, but he recognizes there is shame on the people of Israel because of the sin. There's a recognition of the sin in their life, and there is an acknowledgement of God's grace. In verse 8, he says, but now, For a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within this holy place that our God might brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. There's this beautiful moment where he realizes God's given us favor. He has not left us. He's given a remnant instead. He did not forsake us. He's instead extended his steadfast love for us. Now there's an acknowledgement that they were wrong, that they forsook God, not God forsook them. So watch this, they have forsaken God's commands. Isn't it interesting when we think about this? We often, and too often, assume that God has forsaken us when we are the ones that are disobedient. We're disobedient, it brings about bad consequences, or sometimes even God's punishment, and we go, God, you've, you've forsaken me why have you forsaken me? And we don't realize that it, it's not God forsaking us, it's we have forsaken God. Ezra's response in his prayer acknowledges that it was them who forsook God. They left God. God didn't leave them. In fact, God pursued them, and he pursues us, and that is the beautiful reality, the gospel that we, we live in. Sin is forsaken God, and we must see that in order to repent. If you don't acknowledge your sin before God, you have not repented. There's a recognition of God's justice that He is right to judge. We, we have to see this in our repentance, that God is right in His justice and His judgment. For us, this is beautiful. He asked the question, who can stand before God? And, and the beautiful answer to that is, for us, it's Christ. And praise God, He's our mediator. And praise God, He's made a way for unclean people to be clean again. And and chapter nine ends as he as he continues to pray for for help from God over the sin, and it leads into chapter ten where it says, while Ezra prayed chapter 10 verse 1 and made confession weeping and casting himself down before the house of God this is all the people gathered this great assembly of men and women and children had gathered to him and they wept bitterly they hear his prayer so notice Ezra didn't stop praying he continued to pray this is a continued posture posture towards God And he makes confession through weeping and fasting as you continue reading and casting himself down. That's humility. The people see his example, and his words begin to cut deep into their hearts, and they weep too because they see what he is saying. See how godly and humble leadership trickles down. A pastor who does not mourn over their sin or the sin of the church will not have a people who do that either. The pastor must lead as Ezra led, and the church must be broken as Ezra was broken. So in verse 4, as we look at it, the leaders now come alongside Ezra, and they encourage him in this repentance. And he calls the nation to repent. And as chapter 10 closes, we have this list of names of people who have repented of the sin They had done, again, this was the marrying of the people who had not not separated themselves from their beliefs, their other religions, and they've brought them into the people of God. So as Ezra closes, it closes with repentance and hope, and we should also have hope and be encouraged by these words, though we have sinned through God's patience and mercy. In our repentance. We will remain, and God's grace will flow over us. Ezra, as we close it, is a story of God's power. And I'm going to do one more episode, and Ezra, it's going to be a bonus episode as we kind of recap the whole book. And I look forward to meeting you there next time.